Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today we're at episode number 107, and I'm calling it Great Leaders Create Great Workplaces. In this episode, I talk with David Veach, who's the author of a book called Leader Sites, Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces. David teaches leaders how to love, learn, and let go. He thinks that work should be fun, exciting, and challenging, but most of all, it should be meaningful. We discuss how great leaders create great workplaces. And I'm now joined by David Veach from Columbus, Ohio. How are you doing this morning, David? I am great, Charles. Thanks for having me on. I've been very excited about our conversation. Been looking forward to it. Well, it's great to have you join us. We're going to talk a little bit about your 2017 book. Why did you want to write Leader Sites, Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces? Well, I have been learning for years. I mean, I've spent years experiencing all different kinds of leadership styles, and I've been learning as much as I could from all of those experiences to try to figure out what might work best in an organization going forward and and positioning for the future. And uh, these, I've got these two overwhelming interests in in both leadership behaviors and styles and in lean systems. Uh, And I I taught lean systems for a long time and I wanted to do something that would contribute to the body of knowledge that would contribute to both. And so I put together the things that I've learned in the book Leader Sites and it seems to be be working out. I wanted to to offer something that might help leaders in, in the tough job that they have of leadership. And you come from a military background, I think, where um, leadership is, uh, is an important component. I do, yes, sir. I was in the Army for 20 years. Well, your, your book notes that a great leader has only one job. And tell us what it is and how you came to that conclusion. Well, the only job that really matters for a leader is developing people. And I think that's so important because uh, we need to realize that no matter what industry we're in or what products or services we provide, the value is always delivered to customers through people. Uh, customer experiences, your product or services first through people. Uh, and even when everything is automated, you know, it's, it's your people that have to create that automated workflow. And if that doesn't reflect the values of the company or the company's true north, then, then there's going to be some failure somewhere in that relationship. So we have to do everything we can to make sure our people have the skills that they need to provide that great service, provide that great product, Uh, and continue to improve both of those as we go through this. So one of the key skills that we need to develop in our people is how to think through problems that they experience or the processes that they're working through so that they can look at those and try to come up with uh, ways that are going to be better for us to deliver those products and services to customers. I think if we have everybody in the organization kind of spread out learning and driving new things and having these wonderful experiences with customers, I think that's going to give us that competitive edge through the future and give us the flexibility we need to respond immediately to anything that we can't predict might come along. So taking care of your people and developing their skills for the future, particularly their ability to think, critically think, I think that's the most important thing that a leader can do to guarantee success for the future. As your book indicates, uh, we're creating great leaders who create great workplaces. So what is a great workplace and how do leaders create them? Well, to me, a great workplace is one where everybody counts. 
you know, everybody makes a contribution and everybody learns and everybody benefits from their contribution or from the success of the company. And I think leaders have to create these by recognizing that they just can't do it all by themselves. Okay, so they've got to get everyone engaged in creating this kind of great workplace. And the only way to really do that is to be able to articulate their vision of what that great workplace is. So, you know, I, I told you what my vision of a great workplace was, but everybody needs to be able to articulate their own. And if it's a compelling kind of vision, you can share that with people and people will get excited about the future and want to come along with you. But then if you bring them along and you kind of squash their creativity and suppress their energy, then uh, it's not going to work out very well. So leaders really have to do three key things. Okay. The first thing is uh, I summarize it all with uh, the word love. You got to love what you're doing. You got to love the people you're doing it with and you got to keep on doing it no matter what happens. Right? So it's a, it's, it's a commitment to place their needs above yours. And then I'm going to learn. So love, then learn. I'm going to learn everything that they need to succeed. And then I'm going to do my best to provide that, to satisfy that need, whether it's here's the vision or whether it's here's a particular resource or whether it's here's a way to learn this new skill or here's some space or time to practice something. All of these kinds of things contribute to that leader creating that workplace by loving the people and loving the work, by learning everything there is to learn. And then probably the most important is once you get things built, you've got to let go. You've got to let people do the things that people need to do to build this workplace and make it even better. Again, we just can't do it by ourselves. Leaders create that by engaging everybody. They engage everybody by loving, learning, and letting go. So you're right that today's workplace is a complex mess and the leader is completely helpless. What did you have in mind there? Well, that, uh, that might be a little bit provocative is where I, what I was going for. Nobody wants to feel helpless, but if you, if you take a look at the complexity of any organization today, I mean, we are exponentially more complex than we've ever been before whether it's in the technology available to us or whether it's the breadth of our market, whether it's the span of our product families, uh, the organizations of today are way too complex for one person to be able to be an expert in all of those fields. And I've run into way too many leaders who think their job is to make all the decisions and to solve all the problems, and they just don't have the skills to do that. So they have to recognize that they don't have the skills to do that. And in, a, in some respects, that makes them helpless to actually make anything really happen. So if you just adopt this mindset that I've got to start asking for help and allow people to actually help you, then I think you're going to kind of build an environment that makes people very excited about their ability to contribute. I mean, if leaders everywhere would just start asking for help and making themselves a little bit vulnerable to the performance of other people, I think they're going to build more trust, they're going to gain more followers, and they're just going to get more done. Well, if the goal is a workplace with a people-oriented philosophy, is the traditional management form of command and control, does that, is that compatible with what, what you uh, are offering here? In, in some ways. <laughs> I don't really think command and control works anywhere for the long term. Okay. I do believe in certain crisis situations, 
uh, particularly if the leader hasn't engaged people very well, it's absolutely essential that we, we are willing to step into that crisis mode and make the decisions and make things happen. Um, I, I think there's always going to be a role for that. But over time, you know, people, uh, people need to become their potential. And that kind of, of command and control environment really suppresses that for other people. So, um, you know, my experiences from the military, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the military is all about command and control. Uh, and, yeah, there's, there's a lot of command and control in the military, but the best leaders that I ever had, they were, they were all more interested in me learning, uh, more interested in me learning than in simply me doing what I was told. Now, certainly, I had to do what I was told when it was time to do it, but the best leaders I had always encouraged me to join in the discussions while the mission was being formed. And I was always encouraged to offer alternative solutions or alternative tactics or some other way to do whatever it is that we were required to do. And that being engaged in that upfront discussion was awesome, particularly when the, the leaders actually listen to you and say, oh yeah, we're going to make this change. But I got to say, when the decision is made, even if I disagreed with it, we had to get behind the decision. When the decision is made, you got to execute that decision. Um, if you don't do that, you know, then, then your organization is going to pretty much fall apart. So the deal is the leader was able to say, here's the vision. Here's where we want to end up. Here is my intent. At the end of the day, we need to be here X, Y, Z. We made plans to actually achieve that vision. Okay. So we're going to have some folks go around the left, some folks go around the right, you know, and this is how we're going to be there. And in the end, this is where we want to be. Everybody's got that. Well, when you go out there and you encounter new things that you didn't expect or you encounter an enemy who has different plans from you, um, you don't have time to get the team back together and start debating all these different countermeasures things. You have to be able to act. Okay, so if the leader has said, here's the, here's the intent, here's the vision, here's where we want to be when we end up, and if the leader kind of establishes some boundaries, and in my vision or in my interpretation of that, the values we say are important for the organization. Those are the things that set the boundaries. We're going to accept any behavior within these values boundaries. Whatever we can do within these boundaries to achieve that goal, uh, that's acceptable. So I'm going to go out toward that goal. When I encounter something that requires a different action, I have a plan that, that we started with that plans out the door. I've got to be able to act now. And we taught everybody through the, the military. I was an infantry officer, so I was a company commander, uh, and I had platoons, and they had squads, and we had individual soldiers. And we made sure that every individual in that organization knew where we were supposed to end up and knew these are the boundaries, and here's the resources available. Now when we go, we go. We're all going to work together. We're going to solve whatever problems come along. We're going to adjust the plan as necessary, and we're going to continue to push through until we achieve that vision. I don't think that's really command and control. I think that's good planning. I think that's, that's good leadership. Now, if the leader tries to intervene and can't let go and let the people do all that stuff, and every time you encounter an obstacle, you try to shut things down and bring everybody back to make new decisions, or if you just make decisions on your own based on poor information, then you're going to have the exact opposite effect. And not only are you not going to achieve your vision, you're probably going to end up losing everything on the way to it. So there's a place for command and control. Uh, it isn't a place for long-term 
but without some degree of command and control, we don't really build the discipline and the learning skills necessary to get there. But leaders really have to be able to let go and let people execute once they've laid out the plans and laid out the boundaries. And that's, uh, that's been my consistent experience through the 40 years that I've been leading people. Yeah, I think that idea of uh, commander intent, which is basically a goal, uh, then, then you yeah. give flexibility to those that are implementing it to, to get there whatever, in whatever way makes sense. That's not really the old idea of command and control, which is maybe earlier militaries where you just march straight into the, the fire ahead or something like that. Um, <laughs> we proved that that doesn't work very well, especially with technology. I think we did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think fundamentally it comes down to the way we prepare our people to act. Again, that leader's role being developing people. If we don't give people the skills to execute the plans that we're doing, then we should expect failure and we'll get it. Yeah, I think the old command and control logic comes from the days when the leader knew everything that, uh, you know, the workers were going to do. And the workers were pretty much unskilled and may have only had two or three years of schooling and didn't have much initiative on their own. But now everybody's a knowledge worker. Everybody uh, is specialized and the worker knows more than the leader oftentimes. So there has to be that flexibility. We just got to be willing to listen to the input from the people who know the most. Absolutely. So you're right that there's a huge trust gap today between labor and management, between suppliers and customers, and between departments. How do you think the trust gap can be overcome? <laughs> That's a good one, Charles. You know as well as I do that it takes years to build trust and that it can be undone pretty much in the blink of an eye, right? Rebuilding that trust after it's been broken is always a long-term thing. Now, the problem is that most organizations have over time built systems that actually reinforce and strengthen even that trust gap, uh, particularly in how we hold people accountable. It, it's it's always a kind of a judgmental thing. I'm in charge. You have to do what I tell you to do. And when you don't, I'm going to give you feedback and coaching and tell you uh, what you've got to do to change to please me kind of thing. It's it's very judgmental uh, kind of approach. And, you know, in a, in a relationship, uh, that judgmental kind of behavior is not really welcome in that relationship. Uh, yeah, we've got to hold people accountable, but can we hold people accountable from a, a learning perspective, and instead of, of burning them at the stake when they fail, can we analyze that failure and see where I, as the leader, may have contributed to that failure by failing to be clear on the expectations or failing to uh, make sure that the employee that I put on that task had the skills to actually accomplish that task? And I think that's a good practice for leaders anyway, is to when there's a problem, instead of just executing the first person who you come to that's closest to the problem, if you stop and take a step back and say, how have I contributed to this failure? How have I contributed to this problem? And do some self-reflection about the way you gave the assignment and the way you made the rules about the assignment or whatever it is. I'm sure you'll find that there's a lot of things that you as the leader could have done differently 
that may or may not have ended up in, in the same affair, but it, it allows you to share in that responsibility and that accountability. And it encourages people to pick things up and try again, rather than cower in fear or not report the problem or anything like that. So building trust really requires um, those two key things that I mentioned. One is, is clarity of expectations from both parties. So as a leader, I need to make sure that my people have perfect clarity on what I expect them to do. Um, so it starts with the vision, ends with the values, and then we've got tools like uh, standardized work and standard operating procedures that really share our expectations of them pretty clearly. But we don't have a lot of tools that stop us and make us sit down and listen to their expectations of us as leaders. And we just don't have that in our systems anywhere. So if leaders truly want to build trust, we've got to solicit their expectation of our performance as leaders. What do you need from me as the leader to succeed? And we really need to listen. And then both sides need to commit to satisfying those expectations. And one of the things that has to flow from that is the leader, the one in the power position, then needs to make themselves clearly vulnerable to the performance of the other party. So I'm going to give you the responsibility to perform something that I'm responsible for. It's on you. If you fail, I'm going to take responsibility. If you succeed, I'm going to give you credit. If we start doing that consistently, every single day, every time we have an interaction with an employee, I think we'll start chipping away at that trust gap and start building those bridges. But we've got to be consistent with that because like I said to start, trust is something that just can be undone. And Yeah, I, I like that idea. You know, the three, 360 degree feedback and the give and take and not just top down, but bottom up as well. Um, and that's certainly um, a way to build trust. You know, your book goes into a lot of other areas that we haven't been able to touch on and may not have time for today, but there's a lot of things about lean and Kaizen and quality management and, and these kinds of things. Are, are there other areas you want to touch on that we haven't uh, had, had a chance to highlight so far? Well, I always, always like to talk about um, structures and systems. We need... I mean, it's not enough just to talk our way into an excellent organization. We actually have to build systems that allow us to be an excellent organization. Uh, one of my favorites is a visual management system that actually tells people what those expectations are and lets them share their expectations so everybody is aware of what's going on in the workplace. That awareness is one of the three key factors in promoting satisfaction at work. And I'm really big on satisfaction at work because not because a satisfied worker is more productive. I think we've had enough studies that prove that a more productive worker is more satisfied. But satisfaction doesn't make them more productive. But, but what you get from a satisfied worker that you don't get from a, an unsatisfied or a dissatisfied worker uh, is a willingness to tell you when they experience a problem rather than try to hide it. Okay, a satisfied worker is much more likely to tell you where a problem is. And if the, if the people have an idea about what to do to solve a problem or to make things better, they're much more willing to share those ideas with you 
if they are satisfied rather than being dissatisfied. And so in the book, I talk about some very practical, tactical approaches that you can take to design work that makes it more satisfying for employees. One of the critical things being, can you draw a straight line from what the worker is doing to the impact that they have on the the user, the customer of whatever it is they're doing, right? The closer you can draw that connection between the work that I'm doing and a customer, and have that customer say either, hey, that was great, or I didn't really like that that much, and provide that feedback and that link to that individual operator, the more responsibility, the more significance they're going to feel in their work, the more meaningfulness they're going to get from that. Uh, but another important aspect of that is, and I have a problem with this, especially in like fulfillment centers that seem to be the guys who are making the most money right now. The jobs that they have people do in those warehouses is you pick and you pack a box, you pick and you pack a box, you pick and you pack a box. And it's the same boring stuff all day long, every day. And you've got a manager with a stopwatch who's saying, hey, you're not going fast enough. Hey, you're not going fast enough. Hey, you're not going fast enough. Those jobs just wear people down. And if you're wearing people down on the job, they're not taking the time to think about how to make things better. But if we're not building our leaders to accept those ideas, then our system is going to fail. So building these kinds of structures and systems that allow us to allow people to share their ideas and think through their ideas and implement their ideas I think those are absolutely critical to building satisfied workers. And that satisfaction across the board is what breeds engagement across the board. And that engagement across the board is what drives continuous improvement in every aspect of the business. And that's what gives us the flexibility to respond to any change in the market or any change in demand or any change in a pandemic environment. Our people are going to help us get through this. We don't have to have all the answers but they have to trust us and they have to like what they're doing. And it's our job to design work that they like to do. And we can do things very practically. And I've I've got a few things in the book that will help people say, instead of doing this, do that. Um, And I think they'll benefit from that. Yeah. I like your emphasis on, on trust and satisfaction and giving the worker um, some leeway in deciding what's best for doing the work. So, in the show notes, we're going to have links to both of your books, but how's the best way for people to uh, follow up and to perhaps get in contact with you? Well, Charles, for, the, for your readers, I will actually, uh, if they want to go to the website, they can download a free copy of the C4 process, the first book that I wrote. So I'm giving it away free. Um, so they go to the website, leadersites.com and click on uh, free downloads. Uh, they'll be able to get it. Yeah, I can put a link to it in the uh, show okay, well, notes. I will get that set up, and uh, you can share that with your with your reader or with your listeners, and they can download a copy, a free copy of the book. There's some other free stuff I got. I've got a little C4 card that that they can get, and a C4 worksheet that'll help them solve some problems. Um, so I'm happy happy to do that. Um, there's also my email address is, is there. Uh, they can contact me through the website, or they can send me an email at david.beach@leadersites.com. Again, um, I'm sure that'll be in the show notes, and I'd, I'd love to hear from it. Okay, great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you with us today, David, and uh, best of luck on uh, all your future uh, writings, and uh, we we'll hope to have you back. Thank you, Charles. 
Well, I'd love to be back. I, I had a great conversation. And I'd love to talk to you some more. And that's about it for today. Join us again next time when we'll consider more stories about organizations and their performance. And to find the show notes for this episode, go out to ageofoe.com slash 107. And I'm your host, Charles Chandler, bidding you so long for now. <laughs>